0: If you will, this, e- this morning, evening, we may be here in the evening today, but it, uh, get your Bibles and turn them with in Matthew chapter 12. I want to talk about today many people, in fact I wonder how many people, Christian people, struggle over some decision and they end their prayer by asking God something like this. God, please just give me some kind of a sign that you want me to do this or don't do this. In our text today, Jesus offers some straight talk to sign seekers. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with him one more time as we read this passage, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 42, and Jesus directs this explicit subject here. He writes, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment, with this generation, and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, greater than Solomon is here. Let's go to the Lord, prayer again. Dear God, once again, we thank you for the privilege of being here this morning, and Lord, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word, not my words, but your words, that Lord, we would hear what Jesus is talking to. Not that we need to seek out a sign to enlighten the way, but Lord, that we've got Something even far better than that right here in front of us. Go with us through the next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, Awaken and adulterous generation ask for a miraculous sign. That's a perfect description, if you think about it, of some of the sign seekers in our generation today. I'm not going to go into all of them, but just we have many people that are looking for signs. I think one of the ones that stands out in my mind most of the time was uh, some years ago, a lady out in Tennessee, and this was a true story on the news, that she was cooking a grilled cheese sandwich. And when she turned it over, she saw the face of Jesus in it. Of course, she publicized it, and people literally came by paying money to see this Jesus in this grilled cheese sandwich. In in the end, she sold the sandwich for $28,000. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. I'm not going to comment on it. But it just uh, blows my mind. (laughs) That's the bottom line I can say. But people are looking for a sign nowadays. They're looking for something to know that God's there. You may even be a sign seeker this morning or know someone who is. Let's look at three important truths about seeking signs from Jesus. I hope it opens your eyes this morning. Number one, faith doesn't require a sign from God. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Well, I'll believe it when I see it. That's not faith. That's sight. And Jesus talks about doing away with sight and live by faith. Faith says, I'll believe it whether I see it, any evidence of it or not. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. Seeking a sign from God could be a sign itself, and it could be a sign of weak faith for that matter. The desire for signs isn't new. It goes all the way back to the early parts of the Bible. You'll some, sometimes hear someone say, I laid out the fleece before the Lord. And what they're talking about is back in Judges chapter 6, God called Gideon. Now, let me draw a picture of Gideon here. Gideon was a very young, he was not a physical specimen. He wasn't anything that you look at and say great God called Gideon to lead an army against the Midianites. Now, Gideon had probably been more at home hiding somewhere from everything that goes on. He was just that type of a young man. That phrase comes from the story in Gideon. God called Gideon to lead an army to defeat the Midianites, but Gideon doubted what God was doing. Lord, you can't be calling me to do this. This is just not where I'm qualified at. There's no way I can do this. But Gideon doubted God. So he asked God for a sign. And you probably know the story, but let me share with you a little bit. He laid out a lamb's fleece on the ground one night, and he said, God, if you want me to do this, then, then make the ground dry and the fleece wet tomorrow morning. Gideon got up the next morning. The fleece was soaking wet, but the ground around it was dry. But Gideon still wasn't convinced. He said, now, "Now, this is his words, please don't be angry with me. I think he already knew his in thin ground right there, on dangerous ground. He says, please don't be angry with me. If you really want me to do this, then tomorrow make the ground dry, ground wet and the fleece dry. Next morning he got him, exactly what happened. When is this guy, can't you just hear God saying, when's this guy going to get it? I mean, he just don't get it yet. Probably talking about some of us, too, though. When's this guy going to get it? But the next morning, the ground was covered with dew, and the fleece was as dry as it could be. God gave Gideon two signs. By laying out the fleece is a poor way to find God's will. That's what he's saying to us. That's not a good way to find God's will. And I'm sure some of us have done something similar to it. Maybe not an exact one, but we've done something. we challenged God and said, God, if you really want me to do this, then you do this. I don't know what the results were, but but that's dangerous crown, ground we're walking on there. Many of us have seen or are sign seekers. Some years ago down in the Fort Worth, Dallas area, of course that's where Judy and I are from, Fort Worth area. But there was somebody, and I heard the story, I don't know if this is true or not, but some rich man went around town, Dallas and Fort Worth, and put up these big billboard signs. Now, if you're down, I don't know if you all had it down here or not, but it was... Not uncommon to see them. Let me just give you a few of them, what the sign said. This is a big billboard right on the main highways. In fact, I remember one bill on I-30 between Dallas and Fort Worth. It said, we need to talk, comma, God. I like that. I love the one that says, I love the marriage. I, I love the wedding. Now invite me to the marriage. I like that one. Again, it was signed, God. For those who are waiting on a sign from God, there's one that says, Well, you did ask for a sign. Now think about that one a minute. <laughs> I knew it'd hit you sooner or later. <laughs> sort of a slow crowd we got here today. And <laughs> we we've all probably said something like this, maybe not the exact way, but God give me a sign of what you want me to do. God give me something that you want me that I can know for sure that you want me to do. Faith doesn't require a sign from God. Faith requires trusting God no matter what's going on in your life. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says we live by faith, not by sight. Seeking a sign from God could be a sign itself, again, a sign of our weakness. Many of us have seen or are sign seekers, but as we mature in our Christian life, we realize that We don't need signs to hear from God. We have something much more reliable. We call it the Word of God. You don't need to go seek signs. All you do is open your Bible and read what God says to us, the promises He's made over and over again. The problem with looking for signs is that they can be misleading. I read this story about the World War II after the Normandy invasion. And Allied troops were pushing eastward toward Germany. As the Germans retreated, they turned all the signs backwards, pointing the wrong direction or different directions. As the Germans retreated, they changed the road signs, so they pointed the wrong directions. The soldiers before long learned that you can't trust those signs anymore. And I think that's what God's telling us today. You can't trust just every sign you see. When you're looking for a sign for God, from God, you might misread the sign as well. That reminds me of a story of a young man who asked God for a sign of what he wanted him to do with his life. He looked and looked, he prayed, and just nothing ever came. Finally, one day, he was out in the pasture, and he looked up, and he saw three perfectly formed letters. G-P-C. He thought and thought and thought, says, what in the world is God trying to tell me? And finally, he says, I got it. I know what it is. Go preach Christ. Well, he devoted his life to preaching, but to be honest, he was a terrible preacher. He couldn't keep a church. Finally, after a miserable life, he came to the end of his life. He died and he arrived in heaven. The first thing he did was he wanted to talk to God. He says, God, why did you put those three letters in the sky and then didn't bless me? The Lord says, Well, what do you think those three letters meant? He says, G P C go preach Christ. The Lord shook his head and says, No, 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 my son. That stood for go plant corn. <laughs> we all look for signs in some ways. The second thing we see is the greatest sign is the sign of Jonah, is Jesus' resurrection. Now, this we're just past Easter, and we just have still have a little of the Easter flavor in our mouths and so forth, but I enjoy some of the Comedy of Bill Ingvall, if y'all don't know who he is. His famous routine is when he talks about people, how stupid questions they ask sometimes. He suggests these kind of people should wear a sign so we'll recognize them. In fact, he says, Here's your sign when he hears one of these things. For instance, he says that when he and his wife were moving from Texas to California, that should have been a sign right there, but anyway, that's that's nothing else, his neighbor wandered over and they had. Their driveway was with a, back, a van full of stuff, and they were cleaning out boxes in the house, and the boxes were still piled in the house, all this stuff. He said his neighbor walked over and said, hey, are you moving? And Bill replied, nope, we just pack up all of our stuff every few weeks to see how many boxes it takes. Here's your sign. Or he talks about the time when he had a flat tire and he drove into a service station. The attendant came out and looked at it and says, got a flat tire? Bill says, No, I was just driving around. These other three just swelled up on me. Here's your sign. But when Jesus heard their request for a sign, he must have been thinking, How blind can you be? How blind can you be? You want a sign? Here's your sign the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? I asked that once to someone, and he said, The sign of the fish. I said, Nope, here's your sign. No, I really didn't say that, but anyway. But uh, they really did ask that question. But they were thinking about Jonah and the whale. In fact, I like to call it a fish nowadays because some years ago we were at another church and I used Jonah and I I was preaching on that message. And I didn't realize I was doing this until we got in the car headed home and my wife sure let me know I did this. I kept talking about Jonah being in the welly of a bell. I didn't get it. I didn't catch it. I didn't know what I'd done wrong. But. She let me know real quick, so just let you know. So I try to refer it to it as a fish, not a whale anymore. But we don't have to wonder about what the sign of Jonah is because Jesus explains it right here in this verse we just read. He said, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, I almost said it again, in the belly of a whale, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was predicting his resurrection. Jonah spent three days in the dark, cold belly of a whale. I said it slow that time. He was as good as dead, but God miraculously delivered him after those three days. That's why he's talking about the sign of Jonah. It's a picture. The same thing happened to Jesus when he spent three days and three nights in the dark, cold tomb. But unlike Jonah, Jesus really died, but God raised him from the dead. Believing in the resurrection, did you? This didn't even dawn on it to me except not long Excuse me, not long ago. Did you realize it's a requirement to believe in the resurrection to be saved? Let me show you. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, "If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved." That's one of the requirements of salvation. I mean, I know I've heard that a hundred times, but it just never dawned on me what he was saying to us. That's the sign of Jonah. Where Jesus, just like Jonah was in that belly of a whale, so he was in the ground for three days and three nights. The only difference was Jonah never died, but Jesus did. And God brought him back through the resurrection. He was and is God. Why couldn't we... I've done something like this. Why couldn't the Bible, says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus walked on the water? Or believe in your heart that he fed 5,000 people? It's because the resurrection of Jesus proves he is more than just a great teacher. Or a miracle man, for that matter. He was and is God, and he rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. That's the difference in it. That's what took place there. That's what God's trying to tell us. Your salvation rises and falls, falls on the on whether or not you believe Jesus Christ died and was raised again. In the literal sense. Not he wasn't swooned because of something they gave him to drink. He wasn't passed out. He was dead. You don't believe that? Get somebody to stab you in the side all the way up to your heart and see how good you feel the next day. It's going to kill you. It's going to hurt tremendously. Some people are looking for proof, but they're making the same mistake Thomas made. They want a sign. On that first Easter night, Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. Jesus vanished, and when Thomas showed up, they told him about Jesus. He refused to believe it. In fact, he said, I have to see a sign. Unless I see the nail prints in his hands and place my finger in the hole in his side, I won't believe it. That's why he's called Doubting Thomas to this day. A week later, Jesus appeared and he knew exactly what Thomas said because he walked in the room and said these words. Here, Thomas, put your finger in the nail scars of my hands. Thomas fell to his knees immediately and said, My Lord and my God. He got his attention. Then Jesus said something to Thomas that I just caught. Not again. Not too long ago. Did you know that same verse has me and you in there? Thomas, put your finger in the nail scarred hands, of, uh, in the nail scars of my hands. And Thomas said, "My Lord and my God." Watch what takes place here. Because you have seen me. John twenty twenty nine. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Guess who that is? That's us. That's we people. That's us-uns. I mean, that's who it's talking about. We didn't see Jesus die. We didn't see him physically come from the grave. But because of what Thomas saw... He's including us in that statement. Once again, John 20, 29. Because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. He's talking about each one of us and everybody that's a Christian today throughout this country, throughout this world for that matter. Jesus was talking about me. He was talking about you. He said, blessed are those who have not seen Jesus is talking about me. Do you recognize the sign of Jonah now? It's not the fish, even though it was a great fish that swallowed him. It, it, the Bible doesn't say it's a whale. It says it's a great fish. We just assume it was a whale. Do you believe in your mind and in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Do you, I mean, do you really believe that? That's sometimes hard to wrap our hands around, our mind around. We can't really get that concept. But if you trust God and you trust this word, you've got to believe that. It's just imperative to. Do you believe in your mind and your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Jesus said you are blessed if you believe it. Very specific there. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you want a sign? My resurrection. Dummy, here's your sign. Maybe he didn't say those words, but same thing. The next thing we see. God may provide signs, but the best evidence is Jesus himself. You may be thinking, does God ever use signs or dreams or miracles to communicate? Well, first of all, God can do anything he wants to. He's God. He doesn't have to ask our permission. Of course he does. He uses those things sometimes. He can do anything he wants. Again, he's God after all. But God has a better way to communicate to us today. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom, has appointed heir, whom, who, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He has taken over. God's speaking it. But he's speaking about Jesus, his son. We have something far more valuable than Gideon had. We have the written word of God right here. I don't know if you believe this is God's word, but folks, I believe it from the part that says leather to the back part that says leather. I believe every word in here. And I believe we need to focus on that Bible. We don't understand all of it, there's a whole bunch of that book I don't understand. In fact, our Revelation study is sort of showing me how dumb I really am, because I didn't know a lot of this stuff. We've got some smart people in this room, and they've done a good job of teaching it. I'm not sure I believe some of them. No, I, I'm kidding there. But, but it's, they've done a good job. And, by the way, we're still in the Revelation study. We won't have that tonight because we have business meetings, so keep that in mind. But we will have a, a service in the business meeting. Uh, and just for the record, any visitor is welcome to come. We don't hide anything from anybody. You're welcome to sit in. You're welcome to see wherever dime we have goes. We want to be as open as we can about everything we do in the church. You're more than welcome. You say, well, that's the first time I've ever visited. So what? Come join us. We want to be as open as a church as we possibly can. I believe that's what God tells us to do. We have something better. Gideon had something, the written Word of God. We have something better. We have Peter, Paul, and Mary and the other early believers. Maybe not Mary, but you know what I'm talking about. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the Epistles. And when the Bible speaks, it is God's Word speaking to us. You can count on that. So seeking, seeking a sign from God isn't the best way to hear from Him. In fact, seeking a sign can even be sin. Whoa, what are you talking about? One of the temptations of Satan uh, the temptation that Satan presented to Jesus was to give proof of who he was. Who he was. In other words, he was questioning whether he's really God. Satan knew who he was. He just thought he had him at a place where he could get him now. In fact, he said in Matthew 4 verse seven, "Jump off the pinnacle of the temple, if you're really God, the angel will catch you and that you will, you, that will be a sign that you're God." You know how Jesus responded? He quoted in Scripture. Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to a test. That applies to every one of us, folks. Be careful. In fact, there's only one place in the Bible that I've been able to find where God invites you to test him on something. You know what that's on? Tithes. Here's what he says. There's only one place in the Bible that God invites us. Test me on this. See if I'm not telling you the truth. He says, do not put the Lord God to a test. But some people use the Bible to test God. In fact, that verse that we just said, Malachi chapter 3 is where that's found at. And he invites us. And let me tell you, I was one of the ones that was very skeptical as a young Christian I don't have money to give the church. I'll give a little token. with it. That's until I begin to read God's word and God says, no, you're just supposed to give a certain amount. And I question that. I don't know if I believe that or not. But, folks, that is true. And, by the way, it's also dependable. You can count on it. Do not put the Lord your God to test. Some people use the Bible to test God. They play what uh, some people call the biblical Ouija board. They take a Bible, and they say something like this, Okay, God, I want you to speak to me. Then they close their eyes, and they open the Bible randomly, and they just take their finger, not looking where it's going, and put it on a verse. And they think, That's what God's talking to me about. Be careful there. Of course, he, you know, he can do that. There's no doubt about that. God can speak that way. Of course he can. He's God. But that's also can be dangerous. I heard about one guy that did that he popped his finger down on verse matthew twenty seven five which says so Judas threw them all his money into the temple and left then he went away and hanged himself I don't think you want to want to follow that verse. The very best way for you to hear from God is to let God's word abide inside of you do you study God's word I believe and I honestly believe this, one of the worst parts of the Baptist church, I can't talk about the rest of them, I can just talk about us, is that we don't take tithing seriously. So, folks, when you tithe the way God commands us, God's going to bless the way he can bless. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have his blessings than what little pompy part I've got in this life. That's a promise from God. And he asked us, you can test me on this. Try me and see me if I won't do this. And I know people sit in this room today that just within the last few weeks, God has done just that in their lives. They had no idea whether they were going to pay a certain bill or whatever it may have been. And they called and said, you won't believe what just happened to me. God gave me what I needed. Try it. That's not testing God. God says we can try him on that part. Try me and see if you don't believe me. Matthew 27, 5 again says, Judas threw the money in the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The very best way for you to hear from God is to let his word abide inside of you. I believe it's imperative for every person that claims to be a Christian to read the Bible, I hope, daily. Watch what it does in your life. God's Word is not just a book to burn on the shelves, folks. God's Word is alive, it's breathing, it has power in it. And God can move through that better than any other way that we know of. <coughs> Excuse me. Once you have it in your head and have it in your heart, you'll be thinking about His Word all the time. When you're confronted with a situation, a challenge, you won't need a sign you'll be able to say God's Word says this about this issue. You'll be like the person in Psalms chapter 1 who is blessed because they meditate on God's Word day and night, it says. Jesus' wisdom is greater than Solomon's. Will you worship? The story of Jonah was about more than getting swallowed by a fish. He preached to the people of Nineveh and told them to repent or God would destroy their city. He expected them to refuse his message, and he wasn't upset with the idea of God destroying them completely. He wanted God to destroy them. But to his disappointment and surprise, the entire city of Nineveh repented. They got on their knees. These are some of the most vicious people in the world, and they got on their knees and confessed and came close to God. And Jonah got upset about it. God, you said you were going to destroy it. No, he didn't. He said, if they don't repent. And this city repented. In fact, here's what the king of Nineveh said in Jonah chapter 3, verse 8 8 through 10. But let every every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You, uh, excuse me, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger so that we will not perish? When God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said would bring upon the people, and He did not do it. Always remember that God would rather pardon than punish. But sometimes we get to a point where we will not allow Him to pardon us. We almost have to have the punishment. Jesus' comment about the Jews could be applied to our nation today. He said the people, people of Nineveh would rise at the judgment and condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of a reluctant prophet, and this generation has a better preacher. They've got Jesus. And even today, we have the words of Jesus. He's still saying, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. I remember a few years ago, Billy Graham made this comment and a whole lot of our upperty people, if you know what I mean, government, let's say that, said, Billy Graham said, they, they got upset about it. Here's what he said. If God doesn't judge America for its wickedness, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Folks, I think he was right on target. The only part is I don't think America's repented yet. But before national repentance can happen, there must be personal repentance. In Jonah, the Bible says they all repented, from the least to the greatest. Wouldn't you like to see a revival like that in Copper School, Texas? I mean, next week we would close down all the beer joints, all the beer stores, whatever else there is in Copper School, I don't. Well, they closed something down the other day, but I, well, I won't go into that one. But then. <laughs> In First Kings chapter ten, verse six, seven, and then verse nine. Listen to what he says. Then, uh, excuse me. Uh, this is uh, Jesus also mentioned the Queen of Sheba who came from the ends of the earth to visit Solomon. Here we read this in First Kings ten, verse six, chapter six, verse seven, and then nine, six and seven. Then verse nine. Excuse me. Then she said to the king, "It was true a true report which I heard from in my own land about your words and your wisdom." However. I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed the half has not yet been told me. Your wisdom and your prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on a throne of Israel because the Lord has loved you king to do justice and righteousness. That's a foreign king, queen, coming to King Solomon, something happened in Solomon's life. I mean, it was just totally different. The Queen of Sheba traveled many months at great expense to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She was in awe, and she literally bowed before him and showered him with gifts. Solomon was wise, but he was like a child compared to the wisdom of Jesus. He didn't even compare to Jesus. The poor Pharisees couldn't recognize the wisdom in the flesh because They were standing right in front of them. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. Let me word that a little different. They couldn't see Jesus for the hatred of Jesus in their eyes. They would not recognize him. Folks, I believe we're close to that point in our church, in our world today, our nation today, that Jesus is all around us, but we will not take the time to see him. And, folks, we're losing just last night, I don't know what channel was listening to or anything else, but it just they were talking about that the church is disappearing faster than anything, and a lot of it's because of the pressure we feel from outside and all these things and uh, the rights being taken away and all this everything goes into it. They couldn't see Jesus for their hatred of Jesus, and today there are millions who have heard about Jesus, but they refuse to worship Him. They worship at the altar of their own intelligence. They're too smart to believe the Bible. For instance, many people say the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish is a myth. That's not real. It was never intended to be real. But Jesus referred to it as a historical event. It's as real as the historical event called the resurrection. But, of course, the same people who say the story of Jonah is a fable also refuse to believe in the resurrection. I heard this little story, and I I think I've shared it before. I'm gonna share it again. A little girl was on a passenger with, uh, uh, as it was a passenger on an airplane flight. She was sitting next to her mother, and the man on the other side of her noticed that she was reading a book. He asked her, I said, "What are you reading?" And she said, "It's a book of Bible stories, and I'm reading about Jonah and the whale." The man says, "Thought he'd have a little bit of fun with it. He said, Do you really think that that man could have swallowed that whale?" And she says, "No, sir." It doesn't say he swallowed the whale. It says the swa- whale fought, swallowed him. So she he, she was pretty sharp, so she caught his trick question. Then the man smiled and says, well, how can you prove that Jonah really was swallowed by a whale? The little girl thought for a moment. says, I guess when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The man says promptly, says, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? And she looked at him and says, "Then you can ask him. <laughs> Will you fall at the feet of the living God and worship Him as God today?" Let me conclude with this. Let me ask you a question. What if we started seeing some supernatural miracles happen here in this church? Don't get nervous. We're not going to change anything. but I mean, what if God started doing just something un- unbelievable? Let's imagine, for instance, that every Sunday, God gave me the ability to levitate. Now, I don't want that because I don't like heights. But just, I'm just, just using an example. To float around this building while I preached, we'd have bigger crowds, right? No doubt about it. But nothing would change. It wouldn't be about God. It would be about me. We wouldn't have more believers. How can I say that? Because that's what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 16, he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. They both died, and Lazarus went to heaven, and the rich man found himself in a fiery torment in hell. He could see Lazarus in heaven. So he called out and said, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus to my home to warn my five brothers so that they, will come to this, they won't come to this place. He was in hell. He saw Lazarus. He prayed, God, send somebody to my house. But listen what he said. Abraham said, sorry, I can't do that. The rich man was persistent. He said, but Father Abraham, I just know if someone came back from the dead to warn them, they would see the miracle and they would believe and repent. Listen carefully to the words Jesus spoke next because this gets get your attention. Because it applies to sign seekers today. He said in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, meaning they're reading God's Word, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. And he did. His name was Jesus. Didn't change a thing for some people. Now, if I ever was tempted to disagree with Jesus, that would be the point right there. Surely, in my mind, if somebody that I knew came back, from the dead, that would change people. But that's not what it says. If a dead person, let's just go a little bit farther in our scenario here. What if we, one day, God says, I want you all to go down to the cemetery and I want you to pray for somebody. Somebody we all know. I'm not going to call any names, but somebody that we've known for years or you know, whatever it may be. We went to the cemetery and we prayed for this person to come forth out of the grave. Then one Sunday morning, we we're sitting here, and then the doors open up, and there they came walking to the aisle. You think that would change people? No. Do what? Yeah, yes, it might scare people. say, that? Right. Imagine that you're at home one evening, and your doorbell rings. You open the door, and you're in shock because standing there is old Fred. That's, his obituary was two weeks ago in the, in the paper. They buried him. You were at the funeral. He says, Good evening. I'm visiting for Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. I want to share you, with you that I know from personal experience that there really is a heaven and a hell. Now, wouldn't you like to get repent, repent that morning? We'd have people full next week. No, we wouldn't. Not according to the Word of God. Don't you think that would be effective? Not according to Jesus. He said if someone won't believe the Bible, then they wouldn't believe if they saw a supernatural sign like somebody rising from the dead. Guess who he was talking about? Jesus. Over 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. It didn't change a thing to most people. So are you waiting on a sign from God? Here's your sign. You can even sing this with me because I'm going to try to sing this. Up from the grave he arose. I'll just say it. <laughs> Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. That's what changes when we begin to see what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And, Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ and what he did for us, the sign that he gave us, the sign of Jonah. Not that he was in a belly of a whale, but that he rose from a grave and defeated death. Lord, that's what we hold to. Lord, there may be somebody here today that does not know you as our personal Savior. Lord, my prayer is that we wouldn't close this service until every single person's had that opportunity at least Lord, speak to our hearts, break our hearts, mold our hearts that we would listen to your words. Because all around us, we have the Word of God telling us the truth. But so many times, we don't take the time to listen to it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Second like verse.